2: All right. Here's one of the topics we're going to talk about on the show today. Should landlords in British Columbia be forced to allow you to have a pet in your strata unit or your apartment? Think about that. You got a dog or a cat. Now it is legal in British Columbia right now for a landlord to refuse to rent you a place. If you have a pet, you could have a no pet clause in your lease. That's perfectly legal. Landlords are allowed to do that. Now, if you shop around, sure, you can find landlords that are willing to allow you to take a pet, but a lot of them will not. But should landlords be required to let you have a pet, If you want one, a Port Moody city councillor says, yes, you should. You should be allowed to have a pet in your rental unit if you want one. She wants to change the law. I'm going to talk to her at 1130, by the way, so make sure you stick around for that. We'll open the phone lines. I'm sure we'll get lots of great calls on it. But here's your hot question of the day. A Port Moody city councillor hopes for a change to the Strata and Residential Tenancy Act to stop landlords from banning pets. Do you think this is a good idea? Would you say... Yes or no? At CKNW on Twitter is where you'll find the question today. At CKNW on Twitter. Give me a follow while you are there, please. At Mike Smith News on Twitter. Smith spelled with a Y. S-M-Y-T-H. At Mike Smith News on Twitter. Phone me on the buzz line in this one. Leave me a voicemail on it today. 604. 604- 331 Buzz is the number 604 331 2899. And shoot me an email to Mike at cknw.com. It's been a busy week in BC politics. Another busy day ahead with a critical news conference coming up at 12 noon today on the latest on the coronavirus outbreak in British Columbia. Once again, it's Dr. Bonnie Henry, the provincial health officer and health minister Adrian Dix. They're the two, uh, the duo we've seen pretty much every day on these updates in the coronavirus. But this time, Premier John Horgan also in the mix. He will be part of this major news conference coming up at 12 noon on the B.C. government's plan to deal with the coronavirus outbreak. So make sure you keep it locked right here. We're going to bring you that live at 12 noon. But let's get a preview right now with Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Keith, thanks for coming in. Thanks, Manny. Okay, so today's going to be interesting. you got Horgan now kind of fronting mm-hmm. this news conference today. What do you read into that? What, what, what's coming up here at 12 noon?
3: Well, Adrian Dick sort of uh, dropped some pretty broad hints about this uh, at his regular uh, update briefing yesterday, along with Dr. Bonnie Henry, that this is basically... Going to be about messaging and about uh, trying to reassure the public that the government has a plan. Uh, it's not. It's not. Uh, you know, just making it up as it goes along. There is a fifty-page uh, plan for a pandemic. We're not at a pandemic stage yet, but I've got a. I've got a copy. I've seen it. Uh, it's a very comprehensive coordination effort within government, but a big part of that plan, any plan to deal with a serious outbreak of any illness is communications and and, and messaging. And that's why what we've seen the last couple weeks is deliberately planned, and that was to make Dr. Bonnie Henry uh, the face of this, that she's the one who's really been controlling the message. Uh, Adrian Dix has been beside her at all these briefings, but I've been at every one of them pretty well, and it starts with Adrian Dix introducing himself, and then says, I'd like to introduce Dr. Bonnie Henry, the provincial health officer, and then she she runs the show. And she's uh, very good. She's a very calming yeah. influence, I think, in this. It's a yeah. very serious outbreak, but Bonnie Henry is is doing an exemplary job, I think, and she's going to be front and center at today's announcement. But the fact the premier's there, I think, is also part of the the communications effort here that the government has a plan um, and that everybody should, you know. T- T- take this seriously, but uh, don't don't panic at all. Okay, I think Dr.
2: Bonnie Henry has been really good too, and she's got, she's a real pro, and she has background on dealing with this kind of stuff. She was in the front lines of the SARS outbreak years ago, for example, and I agree with you. I think she's been sort of calm, cool, and collected all the way through this thing. Let's have a listen to this, Keith. Here she is yesterday talking with uh, some of the latest numbers.
4: She has not recently traveled and has no known contact with uh, any of our known cases of COVID-19, so that is something that we're paying a lot of attention to, of course.
2: Okay, Um, the latest uh, yesterday was eight new cases. Mm Including one called the community spread case, right? Tell me, tell me about that. I know you were at the news conference, sir.
3: Yeah, that involves a, a, a woman. They don't identify where the, where people live other than the health authorities. I think she was in the Fraser Health Authority. So uh, everyone else who's been identified has been linked to someone traveling from some other jurisdiction, M- mostly Iran, but not entirely. Uh, uh, but this one is she's not traveled anywhere, and it's unclear how she she got this. Yeah, so how did she get it? So Dr. Bonnie Henry yesterday. Know. She used the word detective. They now are playing detectives to try to figure out where she got this because it is a community spread one. So how do
2: they do that? Sort of retrace her steps? Where retrace her steps,
3: uh, talk to people she's come in contact with, uh, perhaps mm-hmm. uh, test people that she's been around. Uh, that's a little, she agreed yesterday, that is a little more serious one than the other ones. Four of the new cases yesterday uh, resulted from being associated with an earlier case. I think yeah. you can make the conclusion they're probably family members who are living with that person. Uh, so they've been um, tested Positive for, or presumptive for uh, this illness as well, uh, but the other ones were uh, again traveling from Iran. Uh, in in two cases, one from Seattle. Uh, now this other one though doesn't seem to have traveled anywhere or come in contact with anybody who travels. So that's a little more serious. It's but again she said it's not unexpected that something like that would happen. So her message always is preventative about washing your hands and if you're sick stay home. But also making it clear as we go along, uh, they're really testing people and monitoring this. In fact, B.C.'s tested more people than have been tested up until a a few days ago in the entire United States. Well, that's amazing
2: to me that we've tested more people than Trump's tested in the entire U.S.
3: Yeah, I I haven't seen the, there's supposed to be an update on the B.C. Center for Disease Control today on their website. The last I checked, they hadn't updated it. But as of last week, uh, more than a thousand people have been tested and just 55 in California.
2: Okay, what do you make of Horgan's appearance at this news conference now? I mean, do you think he's trying to show that the government's taken this very seriously, Mm -hmm. especially as the numbers go up and he wants to be sort of front and center on it today?
3: Yeah, I would be cautious if if I were him about this. I think by leaving it in the hands of Dr. Bonnie Henry to be the lead voice on this, I think it's an effective... Uh, strategy to to calm the public. I think once, if politicians take too high a profile on these things, it, it be, by its very nature, they become political. I mean, mm. the, what, the fact is, half the population don't like who's ever in charge of the government on any given day. Uh, that's just you know the way it's always been, no matter who's in government. So I think uh, Horgan's taking potentially a bit of a risk, but we'll see what he has to say. But I think he, again, is a sign that the government's taking this very seriously, has a plan. Uh, the plan's been in place for some time. The plan I've got that I've seen uh, for a Pandemic has uh, goes back to 2014, and it's been updated since then. So this is not like it's an NDP plan or a BC Liberal plan. It's the government's plan, and they've got one, and we're going to see it unfold in uh, the days ahead. Uh, Adrian Nix outlined some of it yesterday. They've got a they've got sort of an emergency response team made up of his deputy minister and Dr. Bonnie Henry. They've got uh, uh, teams already in place in the health authorities. Each individual health authority has a team in place and a plan to 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 deal with this.
2: Okay, let's talk about the shocking announcement at the B.C. legislature yesterday by Carol James, the finance minister, Keith, and this one, you and I have both known her a long time, and she comes out with this shocking announcement of a uh, diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. Uh, Here's Carol James yesterday.
4: I went to my family doctor at the end of August, and uh, I mentioned at the very end of my physical that I'd had a few odd symptoms. Um, She did a check. And suggested that we get checked out just to make sure there wasn't anything to worry about and referred me to a neurologist i had the neurologist appointment at the very end of january and i've been diagnosed with parkinson's disease
2: okay devastating announcement from her and uh. it was fascinating that sort of the word of the gravity of this thing kind of leaked out a little early and there were a lot of mlas at this event including from across the aisle so mm-hmm. there are a lot of liberals or greens and people are upset it doesn't matter what party you're in. I mean, she's a very respected person. Maybe the most respected person in the whole place, I think, easily.
3: Yeah, I sent a tweet out yesterday that said she's. you can't find anyone who's more liked or more respected than Carol James at the legislature. That's already got something like 500 likes or something. Um, Yeah, and I've known Carol for, well, 25 years or so now, back to her days as a school trustee. I mean, she's got enormous respect from all sides of the aisle uh, in the building and the staff people, too. We're not talking just politicians here. She's she's really uh, well-liked and respected by just the people who work in the building. So it, you're right. It leaked out yesterday. It became apparent that it wasn't a government announcement. It was a personal announcement, and everybody started dreading the worst. Could it I mean, Carol is a cancer survivor. Right. She people had cancer before, that. and she beat cancer. Yeah.
2: So that was my thought. Oh, but the, has the cancer
3: come back? Yeah, I was thinking that as well. And yeah. then, she, then we got word um Parkinson's. And the scene was... On was dramatic it was in yeah. the legislature library lounge, which has never seen a news conference to my knowledge before uh, and it, you, her family was in attendance, but so were about twenty or thirty mLAs from all sides there was yeah. a lot of a lot of crying. She got a big hand from me. even the reporters at the end of the news. I don't, you don't see reporters applaud people at the end of news mm-hmm. conferences necessarily, but she walked out to a round of applause. But uh, there were a few tears shed there, and it was um, and not surprising given that uh, the status she holds in the building. She held it together pretty well. There, a little emotional, sort of eyes a little
2: moistened, and voice mm-hmm. quavering a little bit. Understandable given the circumstances. But I'll tell you what, like to me, like she's so tough. Mm-hmm. And she's so resilient because she's gone through difficult times before. And I wrote about this today in the province newspaper, and I just tweeted it out. If you give me a follow on Twitter, you can see the link there. And... I just started thinking, when I first heard this, I started thinking about all the difficult times that she's gone through before. Yep. You know, like the cancer that you mentioned, she's gone through a, a difficult divorce, she had a, a, a son who struggled with alcoholism, She's very public about it, mm-hmm. um, and of course she, she had the backlash in her own party when she was the leader oh, yeah. of the party and there was a rebellion against her. And she handled all of that with so much dignity and courage, and once again yesterday, I was really impressed with, with her.
3: Oh yeah, no, she's... Um she has a lot of courage, and she's gone yeah. through a lot. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the party takedown of her, which is still. I mean, that's just that's just
2: event. politics, right? I mean, that happens in politics. And, and but she, she was just very dignified through the, everything.
3: Yeah, she didn't miss a beat when that happened. A lot of people just walk away, say oh, to heck with it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but no, she's now soldiered l- on. Yeah, she soldiered on. She's emerged as the top minister in this government. Uh, yeah. There was concern yesterday morning. Uh, I talked to a number of political staff who were, again, w- asking me what's going on. You know, what's going on with Carol? They were worried that we we're going to lose. Carol James from this government. And no, she's going to stay on as finance minister, which I think everybody's breathing a sigh of relief on the government side because she's so key. She, I called her yesterday. the She's the glue that holds everything together around this government. Yeah. And without her steering the ship, it's not just John Horgan, it's Carol James. And she, You, you mentioned she's tough. She is very tough. One cabinet minister told me yesterday uh, she's so good at saying no that when she says no, you walk away feeling better than <laughs> what you were yeah. requesting because yeah. she, she puts it in such a positive tone.
2: Let's talk about this gong show at the legislature this week when the indigenous affairs minister scott fraser uh invites these protesters into the building for a meeting after they said okay no no problem we'll leave after the meeting's done i mean this guy fell for this thing hook line and sinker he got played like a fiddle by these people they refused to leave and then they had to call the cops to get rid of them um i guess there's two ways to look at this you could say that this guy is just total gullible rube who just fell for these people or maybe he looks, maybe he comes out of it looking okay. Yeah, like he took the high road, mm-hmm. right? Like he showed good faith to them, and they're the ones who look bad, and he looks better. Phone me on that, by the way. Who do you think came out of that looking better or looking worse? The protesters or the uh, the, the cabinet minister who let them into the building? 604-280-9898. Phone me right now. You probably get through. Star ninety eight ninety eight in your cell. Here he is, by the way. Here's uh, Scott Fraser.
5: Indigenous youth are currently occupying the inside of the B.C. legislative building. Following a meeting with the Minister of Crown and Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation, Scott Fraser provincially, uh, he is that representative. And he stated that he will not stand with us. He will not exercise his power to ask Coastal GasLink to stand down. And so we are staying here until Coastal GasLink is removed from Wet'suwet'en territories or we are removed from this building.
2: Okay, that's actually not Scott (laughs) Fraser. (laughs) No, it's not. That is... That's the, That was the leader of the protesters who were doing the sit-in. Yeah. Who, I mean, who came off looking worse here on this thing?
3: Well, the protesters are now gone. I mean, there's yeah, no, they're gone. so they're gone. I mean, what? Scott, maybe that's linked to what Scott Fraser did. Look, Scott Fraser, I think, is a very trusting guy. He's a very nice guy. I think he's a very good uh, uh, Indigenous Relations Minister. Actually. Do you? I mean, he's the guy who brought in UNDRIP. I mean, you look at... Uh, no other jurisdictions so brought that in. Well, I still think that's... A, in, in terms of supporting First Nations, I think he's been got a pretty good track record but, with UNDRIP, but it didn't cut him any slack as a result of this meeting. What I found, uh, a number of people remarked on it, you couldn't ask for a more sympathetic voice in this building than Scott Fraser when it came to them. Yet he, they,
2: he's showing remarkable restraint and yeah, good
3: faith. Yet they treated him like that. And yeah. I think they, they you know, he was sheepish the next day saying, I shouldn't have done it. Yeah. You know, I came up to him in the hallway. I said, ah, you know, you know, too bad, but... Uh, you Could know, have seen it, this comment. I said if you'd asked anybody, ask security or the press gallery, we would have told you well, this was this probably sec- what was going to happen. The security weren't too happy about it, I tell you that. They said, look, no. the public's not even allowed in this building, and yet we invite these people in who've been lighting a fire on the front steps and well, and technically breaking the injunction. But
2: now they're gone. I was just See, out I, to- there. I talked to some of the security guys, and they told me they warned the government don't yeah. let these people in, in here. They had actually posted security guards on every yep. single door, watching people come in, just in case they tried to get in. Yeah, because that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to stage a sit-in and occupy the whole building.
3: Yep. No, and that so that, that they've been trying to prevent that for weeks, and then suddenly these these seven of them appear, refuse to leave. But uh, anyway,
2: they're gone. They packed up they and left, They filmed themselves right?
3: eating pizza, which I don't think really enhanced <laughs> their credibility. Yeah, so I just stuck my head out in the front steps, and what do you know, uh, they, they packed up their belongings yesterday, but now... There is a giant steel wire fence in front of the legislature's ceremonial gates where the camp had been. Uh, so there's no way they're going back. Anybody's going back there. Having said that, this thing isn't over. It, it, no. It's going to jump from Coastal Gas Link to the TMX pipeline. You're going to see no. mass protests on the TMX pipeline, both in Burnaby Mount, as we've seen in the past, perhaps along the pipeline route. I think construction begins sooner in the Kamloops area, and you're going to see it on the front lawn of the legislature, but I don't think they're going to get on the steps again.
2: Let's take a quick phone call. Jeff in North Van, hi.
6: Yeah. Good morning. Um, I, I know, in hindsight, it'd, it'd be easy for any of us to regret maybe that that decision. At the same time, um, I really like, under all this, you know, uh, the duress or all these circumstances, to still show that trust and in uh, good faith. And and I think it certainly has exposed some of the protesters, you know, for for what they are. And I okay. and I agree with Keith there that it was a big hit on credibility and I, I commend him for what he did.
2: Thank you. Okay, that's a good point yep. because maybe he did show up these protesters and reveal them. I mean, they took, I think the protesters looked worse maybe arguably at the end of the day than I, I the think government. they look
3: a lot worse yeah. than, than Scott Fraser. Okay. Fraser was trying to have a dialogue and good for him, whether he should have brought him in the building. I tweeted that perhaps you have this meeting off-site somewhere well, yeah. at a neutral site but sure. I could have told them, you bring these people into the building and be in close contact as you have with security on a daily basis on this yeah. thing and they weren't impressed with that.
2: No, and what, what about the Liberals? I mean, the Liberals are having a field day with this thing, aren't they? And yeah, they that this shows the government's weak, and they're kind of sympathetic well, you to these know, protests you, you, and
3: blockades. You look at that latest Angus Reid poll, John Horgan's approval numbers have been pretty high, and suddenly they take a nosedive of right. 10 points, and I think that's linked to the perceived inaction when it comes to blockades and protests. But, you know, having said that, I'm not sure there's a heck of a lot that could have been done here. I think Daryl has actually handled this fairly well, the Speaker. Okay. He sort of waited Did he put out. up the fence? I assume the mess is up from the uh, I order of the speaker. That's why how, how things get done.
2: Squeeze here. in one more call, Bob. You got to go quick because we're running out of time, Bob.
6: Okay, first, real quick, it's kind of sad that somebody who does politics for everything but self-interest uh, gets struck down by this. And secondly, the posters did injure their cause by doing that, and they're going to have to start to recognize that. Even though I'm sort of on side with what they're trying to. Uh, Fix here, but they did kind of injure their own selves. At yeah, they expense. hurt. They
2: hurt them. Well, the blockaders have always hurt.
6: Yeah. Thanks for the call. The blockaders
2: have always been hurting their own. Remarkable
3: Angus Reid poll out yesterday. Eighty percent of Canadians think this, this, these protests and blockades have hurt reconciliation. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> what it, does that it, tell it's you? not a positive development. As and, we,
2: and support for the pipelines up like ten points.
3: Yep. No, the protesters are on the wrong so, side of the public opinion here. Thanks, Keith, for coming
2: in. Okay. That is Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief. Thanks a lot for your calls. If you didn't get through on the open line, phone me on the buzz line. Leave me a voicemail there. 604-331-BUZZ. 604-331-2899. Let's talk about your precious tax dollars now and how the politicians spend your money. I think for a lot of people these days, it's getting tougher and tougher to make ends meet. Prices just keep going up. Taxes go up wages not keeping pace at all for most people i would say so a lot of people they get the end of the month they're pinching their pennies they're counting their costs and you take a look at the way the government spends a lot of your money hey some of this stuff has got to drive people absolutely up the wall let's check in with chris sims now canadian taxpayers federation they just released their annual government spending waste awards chris thanks for coming on Thank you so much. Okay, you guys have been doing this for a long time, right, these annual awards?
7: Yes, it's been going on for many years, so the annual uh, CTF Teddy Waste Awards, and uh, people might remember the image. We have a great big pink pig mascot, and he wears a tux and tail. A pig,
2: like a pig in the trough.
7: An actual pig, yep. And then we hand out golden pig statues at this pretty glitzy um, award ceremony that my uh, federal director puts on in Ottawa. It's quite the show.
2: Oh, that's cold. Well, A a little pig statue? Ooh,
7: Let that be a reminder to any politician or bureaucrat before they decide to waste your money. They might wind up with their name on a trophy. They
2: might get the trophy. Has anyone ever actually accepted one of these trophies and put it up (laughs) on their shelf? Not as
7: I'm, uh, not as I know. (laughs) But that would be pretty funny (laughs) if they came up and owned it. (laughs)
2: I want, you know that'd be kind of a funny sort of uh, conversation piece wouldn't it have that on your shelf at home little te- the little pig award
7: I've actually heard because the provincial slash territorial winner this year and they always have to have a funny element that's what gets you in the running the provincial yeah. territorial winner this year was Yukon territory because they actually picked up and threw money into the river what? But- thousands of dollars in taxpayers' money. They used it to buy gold, and they actually picked it up and threw it in a river. So they were trying to recreate gold panning so that people would take pictures on Instagram, Uh but they literally threw money in the river. So we gave them the award for that. And now apparently they're calling their program uh, an award-winning program.
2: Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
7: Which is pretty clever.
2: Okay, well that sounds like a well-deserved award.
7: Yeah, um, is.
2: Let's talk about some of the other awards that you guys gave out. What was the award for the worst, uh, worst offending government spending at, let's say, the federal level?
7: Yeah, this is a big one, and it's okay. pretty bad. Uh, Global Affairs Canada, also known to some by Foreign Affairs Canada, they spent $11.2 million over three years on something called the Mission Cultural Fund. And if you can believe it, part of that fund is used to fly Canadian chefs all around the world at the beck and call of diplomats. So say you're in the Dominican Republic, you're a Canadian diplomat, and you're feeling kind of hungry, you pick up the phone, and you get a Canadian chef flown to you to cook for you at the taxpayer's expense. It's as if, imagine the government got a hold of Uber Eats in hell and they have your credit card. That's them.
2: Didn't they uh didn't they fly Vikram Vidge? Yes. Around from Vidge's restaurant. I mean, I like the food there. I've eaten there. Well, I've eaten there one time and it was a very memorable meal. I enjoyed it. So I mean he's a he's a good cook.
0: Yes, for so- sure.
7: Great example. And it was part of that. So some of your listeners might remember during Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's uh, multi-million dollar trip to India that he took, we used taxpayers' money to fly an Indian food chef to India to cook Indian food in India. It was for, one of the for most, Indians. For Indians, it was for, m- okay. one of the most ridiculous wastes of money. Um, and, that was, and that was
2: Vikram Vij, right?
7: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and again, yeah. great chef, but oh, taxpayers yeah. shouldn't be spending money flying people around the world. But I, so, but I
2: guess well, the the rationale for it, I guess, is that we're trying to put our best foot forward, and we're trying to develop uh, business deals with these <laughs> with these countries. These are big trading partners for us, so we got to wine and dine all these powerful decision makers over there. I mean, is, isn't that the rationale behind well, it? Well,
7: then use local people. And and then put on a good show and make sure you're not blowing your budget. Uh, to make matters worse, uh, the budget for this, for the Mission yeah. Cultural Fund, is $4.5 million. Last year, they spent 11.2.
2: Ooh. Yeah. Okay, they blew the budget.
7: Yeah, not only is it ridiculous, they way blew the budget.
2: Okay, that's a lot of butter chicken.
7: <laughs> that is. That's or of- <laughs> I don't know. The, apparently, they flew a uh, chef down to Florida for some reason for Canadian cuisine, but they won't tell us what the chef was. They won't tell us what food it was. Uh, we hope we didn't pay chartered flight for poutine.
2: Okay, <laughs> okay. listen, I guess what the government is saying, if, if the government was here right now trying to defend themselves, they would say, look, you don't understand the way that business gets done here. Yeah, we're, we're whining and dining people, but that's the what you do with powerful people. And if we want to make friends and maintain these relations and get great business deals, it's actually going to pay for itself in the end, isn't it? Isn't that, nope. isn't that the deal?
7: No, they can, pay, they can have their own cocktail parties. Uh, Canada is a well-respected G7 country and a democracy. We don't need diplomats uh, eating uh, cannon bear on our dime.
2: No. Okay, let's talk about some of the other awards you gave. You mentioned the provincial one. What about there's a municipal award, right?
7: Yes, there is. Okay. And I must say, to defend myself, I fought hard for BC this year because last year we cleaned up. You might remember that, of <laughs> course, the legislature wood splitter scandal oh. won the provincial award. So okay, that Chris, was a really Chris, big deal.
2: Chris, let me just jump in there for a sec. We just yeah. got to go to some quick breaking news here. This is Terry Shins in from the newsroom. A B.C. Supreme Court judge in U.S. Minster has found Gabriel Klein guilty of second degree murder in the death of 13 year old Letitia Reimer. Reimer was stabbed to death in the rotunda of Abbotsford Secondary School November 1st of 2016. At trial, his lawyer argued Klein did not have the intent to kill the girl when he walked into the school that day and because there was no intent he should have been found guilty on the lesser charge of manslaughter. judge didn't buy that, found him guilty of second degree. He was also found guilty of aggravated assault in an attack on the girl's friend. More information at the bottom of the hour. All right, Terry, thank you for that breaking news. That's why you always keep it locked right here on CKNW, because as soon as we know, you'll know with the breaking news. Uh, Back to my conversation now with Chris Sims, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Okay, Chris, we were talking about some of the wasteful spending that's been identified in B.C., and you mentioned last year there was a lot, right?
7: Yes, there was. Last year, British Columbia won in two separate categories, uh, both provincially for the legislature wood splitter scandal, which, of course, is much more than a wood splitter. They were blowing thousands of dollars on trips to the U.K., trips to Hong Kong, trips to Hong Kong, that were whale watching, but they called tsunami awareness, all sorts of silliness. So they won last year. And then municipally, uh, Vancouver won because we were spending thousands of dollars paying people to pretend to be trees. So last year we won. So this year I got skunked. I tried hard. I fought hard for for BC to win for the municipal category in two separate entries. Uh, One, TransLink, spent $200,000 to paint five red rectangles on our streets in Vancouver. That's $40,000 Per red rectangle.
2: What were the what were the red rectangles for?
7: They were to indicate a bus area. Okay. So again, if you want to paint it red, that's fine. Um, could that you cost not? Two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, forty grand a piece per wow. rectangle. Like, did they use crushed-up rubies as the pigment? (laughs) Um, We don't know. So that's a big waste of money. And then also, this was a really tough contender, a $5,000 stainless steel ping-pong table that I'm sure you've seen there in downtown Victoria.
2: I've heard about it. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet, actually. Oh. What, what's the deal with that one?
7: So it's a lonely little ping-pong table, stainless steel, nice-looking. They actually blocked off a street right in the core there. You can see it right from the Empress in Victoria. And it's blocking off a street. They put some bicycle parking next to it, and they spent more than $5,000 on this table for ping-pong. Again, if you want to have public art and you love ping-pong, All the power to you. Uh, Go hit up the International Ping-Pong Fanciers Association for a donation. Don't stick it to the taxpayer. So I put those in as entries. They were nominated, but they didn't win. Um, But I can tell you who did win at the city level. It's a good one. So it's Toronto. They cracked down on a bunch of senior citizens who were playing Euchre. Do you ever play Euchre? It's a card game.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah, Canadian so, game, yeah.
7: I love that game, and sure. a lot of people do, and the, especially in our armed forces, I find a lot of folks play it in there. So imagine a bunch of senior citizens. They've been pay- playing Euchre at the local rec center in Toronto, in Scarborough, for 20 years. Their buy-in is a dollar in a corner,
2: like a loony and a quarter. Ooh, gambling, though, right?
7: Ding, ding, ding. Ooh, gambling, so if you can yeah. believe it, the staff at Parks and Rec right. at Toronto launched an investigation pulled in their legal department at the city of Toronto, and pulled in the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Commission for a bunch of old people playing for pocket change that have been doing it for decades. They've actually <laughs> been investigating this, Mike, for nine
2: months. Undercover?
7: Yeah, uh, I don't know, but we <laughs> obtained 186 pages of documents.
2: Wow. From these bureaucrats. To bust the, to bust the Euchre game.
1: Right?
7: Ooh. What's really crazy is Mayor John Tory actually yeah. called these people the fun police and told them to stop uh-huh. because it was embarrassing. But they're still going. They're still writing up hey, an official
2: report. If they want to investigate real gambling and money laundering and stuff, they should have been out here working with uh, B.C. and the B.C. Lottery Corporation, right? They In sure the
1: Hockey, could. You, you know, know, hop on a website,
7: guys. Come help us.
2: Yeah, the shopping bags of cash going yeah. into the River Rock. Instead, they're going after these uh, U- senior citizens Euchre game. Wow. Yes.
7: For $1.25. Wow. Again, it's literally <laughs> pocket change.
2: Okay, when you look back at the aftermath of the legislature spending scandal, do you think it's been adequately cleaned up?
7: No. Uh, we are happy in some ways because just now, in the last few months, for the first time ever, uh, the clerk, the speaker, and the sergeant at arms are posting their travel expenses on the internet. Mm-hmm. For the first time ever. So that's progress. Uh, We did see an audit, we have seen an investigation, and there's still an investigation ongoing, but we need to see much more. Uh, We need to see constant vigilance and oversight there, we need to see proactive disclosure, meaning they're always posting their expenses for everything, and this is key. We need to have freedom of information power over the legislature. As yeah. of right now, if you, as a journalist, Mike, or me as an advocate, wanted to file an FOI on an MLA uh, an elected member, we could. We could find all that out. But for those folks, as you know, in the little black and white cloaks, the clerk, the sergeant at arms, and the speaker, they're not subject to FOI. Kay. That means if we had a whistleblower call us and say, yeah. "Hey, I saw something crazy going on. They bought a wood splitter or they spent ten mm. grand on a trailer." You and I couldn't even find out that information. We couldn't reach those documents. That has got to be fixed.
2: Dave in Vancouver on the open line. Hi.
8: Hey, Mike, I was enjoying uh, coming in from the bullpen and doing the job. Uh, you know, I was going through my library, kind of uh spring cleaning, etc., and I came across uh, a book written by Ed Murphy. He was a talk show host way back in the 60s, 70s. I knew him personally. And he wrote a, a book. It was a bestseller, and it was called A Legacy of Spending. And it came out in the mid-70s. And uh, just to give you an example, when Trudeau came out, power, well, I'm talking about Senior Trudeau, in 68, he said that we're going to cut back... Uh, the civil service by 10%. By the mid-70s, so we're talking about six years later, it, uh, the actual increase was 45% in the civil service, and spending increased by 230%. So this plague that is uh, being across Canada, going on, well, way past 50 years, uh, some of the stories are unbelievable. One was where a senior uh, liberal cabinet minister had to go to the Great Cup, game and uh, spent eight grand, so him and his uh, buddies could go to it. We also had a former, uh, you know, Senator, who uh, decided at the end that maybe Vancouver should get a baseball team and I'll go to all the different ballparks. Uh, I don't know how many hot dogs <laughs> eat, but he had a good time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, Dave, thank you very much for the call. I mean, This kind of stuff's been around for a long time, Chris.
7: It, it has, and the reason why we pointed out is because we can't have government waste like this, because if we have government waste like this, not only does that mean it's not being spent on social programs that we need, it means our taxes are too darn high and that we're getting okay. screwed over every year. So that's why we point this out with our annual waste awards. By the way, they're named Teddy because they're named after a bureaucrat named Ted who infamously lived uh, overseas in Paris and billed us $700 for one lunch.
2: That must have been a nice lunch.
7: Imagine the escargot yeah. and the champagne you'd need Ooh. to eat to rack up Ooh. $700. bucks. that
2: would be nice. Bill <laughs> in Richmond, hi.
9: Hi, uh... Not exactly waste because the finished product is is uh, is what what is required. But a perfect example would be uh, BC ferries. You know, whenever they build ferries overseas or in other countries, those ferries could have been built here. The the workers are, are taxed, income tax. The money comes back. Yeah. Those workers turn around, uh, go get their car fixed. They go to the local uh, uh, restaurant. All that money comes back. Into the local community, so yeah. even if even if they charge double, triple for those ferries, uh, that money comes back here. Instead, it okay. goes to Poland or Germany or China for sea buses. Really, we we used to build sea bus uh, ferries in North Van. And then when they got too small, they got chopped in half and extended. Then they got chopped, they got filleted and rained. Okay. We okay, do Bill, all th- that th- stuff here.
2: Thank you for the call. I mean, that's an interesting argument. I have heard people say, Chris, that you're better off outsourcing uh, ferry construction to like Poland or Germany or whatever, China, like you said, because it's cheaper. They can build the boats cheaper than we can. But... I still think it, I, I do tend to have some sympathy with what he's saying though, because when we build this stuff ourselves, you do get this sort of internal economic spin off from that, right?
7: It depends on the model, depends on the style, depends, depends on, on the work. numbers, you remember right? Remember the Fast Cats?
2: Well, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah but was that, I mean, that was crazy though. I mean, the, the Fast Cats were crazy because they went to some unproven <laughs> yep. aluminum double hulled technological thing we'd never done in BC before. Just add government. I'm, I'm talking. About, I'm talking about building traditional single-hulled steel ferries. I don't see why we can't build those ourselves.
7: If it makes economic sense, we wouldn't care about that. That makes sense. Sure. This okay. is uh, this is about waste when you, they blow. Remember waste. the fake lake? One point nine million dollars that the Harper government spent building a fake lake in the Muskokas. Like it's literally surrounded by lakes. Yeah, it's that kind of stuff that we try to put on the uh, the Teddy Waste Awards.
6: Mick
2: and Kelowna. We just got a minute left, Mick.
6: Hi there, Mike. Yeah, actually, I, you talked about fast ferries. That's exactly what I wanted to bring up. And, okay, uh, make it
2: make it quick. We're out of time here.
6: I'll make it very quick. So okay. they build these, they we get these ferries, and uh, what happens? They scrap them because they are creating too much waves. Like you couldn't have figured that out ahead of time when you're spending that kind of money. And we got pennies yeah. on the dollar back. Thank, thank I don't you think for anything the- compares to that.
2: Thanks for the call. I mean, wow, that's going down memory lane it there is. with the fast ferries. But, man, they sold those things for pennies on the dollar. What a disaster that was. Chris, we just got a few seconds left. Here. Uh,
7: fun fact, if anybody wants to look at one, there's still one docked in Cairo, Egypt. Oh,
0: you can Cairo. go find it on Google Earth. It's right there.
2: Oh, it was a tourist attraction, now. Yep.
0: <laughs> okay. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
2: All right, Chris, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Mike. Chris Sims, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. You didn't get through on the open line. Phone me on the buzz line, 604-331-BUZZ, 604 331 2899. Should landlords in BC be required to accept your pet? Think about that right now. Currently, under the law, our tenancy law in British Columbia, the landlord's got the power here. I mean, the landlord is within his or her rights to put a no pets clause into your lease. So they can say, well, I'll rent you this place, this condos and unit, this apartment, this townhome, whatever, but you're not allowed to have a dog or a cat. I mean, that is legal and has been for a long time but it can be difficult to find a place to rent if you do have a pet so should the laws be changed to allow people to have a dog or a cat or a pet in a rental unit my next guest says that should be the rule amy lubick she is a port moody city councillor, and she proposes some changes to our tenancy laws in this regard counselor thank you very much for coming on
10: thank you so much for inviting me
2: Okay, tell me about your idea here to change the uh, Strata and Residential Tenancy Act.
10: For sure, and I'm glad so many people are are interested in this. You know, yeah. we've had people come to council meetings and say they're having trouble. Um, they're having trouble finding places to rent or to to move to with with an animal, right. and we know also that around uh, fifteen hundred to seventeen hundred animals are surrendered each year because their families can't take them with them or can't find housing with them, which is, you know, quite unfortunate. What but happens to their- those
2: animals? They end up in a... Do some of them get yeah. put down?
10: Um, those are numbers from the SPCA. So I, feel, I think some of them get readopted. Some of them just end up being the SPCA for yeah. as long as they, you know, for as long as their lifespan. That yeah, happens, that's so that's the kind of
2: sad. There's a lot of animals being... Uh, being have people giving up their pets, Right.
10: It is. And, you know, animals are, animals are family. There's, Mm -hmm. we can all know that just from our own hearts, but there are studies that show how attached people are to their pets. And I think one of the best ways that I've heard it said was from one of my council colleagues, uh, Councillor Madsen. He said, you know, when you take an animal into your family, it's kind of a, like a pact like a covenant of trust with that creature that you're going to be taking care of them
4: sure
10: so uh, basically this is animals are one of the kind of unheard of victims of this housing crisis that we find ourselves in and you know we just really felt that there needs to be a change in legislation um this is not as much as i'd love to be a um you know a firebrand and and coming up with something really new. This has actually been done before in different jurisdictions, so it's not that new. It's working oh. fine in Ontario.
2: Oh, okay, so in Ontario, it's not a landlord can't tell you you can't have a pet.
10: Um, that's that's right. The I mean, I'm sure that there are, and and this is what we also included in our our motion to the Lower Mainland Local Government Association. Um, of course, there should be some caveats for people with, like landlords that have allergies in basement suites, or um, different avenues for um, more destructive, um, for more destructive creatures. But in general, you know, having blanket statements is really, um, it's really harmful for families. Right.
2: Okay. The uh, the allergy example you mentioned, I think, is an interesting one. So, like, let's say. Like you said, like a landlord's renting out a basement suite, severely allergic to cats. You know, I don't want someone living in my home with the cat. So you're saying that there that should be allowed. Like if there's what if you let's say you got a neighbor who's allergic in a, in a strata unit or something. Wouldn't they be within their rights? to say I don't want a cat next door. Or do you think that they'd be like because they're in a separate unit, they should be OK. That should be all right.
10: I feel like there may have to be a medical professional um, involved in figuring out how all of that works. But in general, you know, most people with allergies, um, some people are, are very, very allergic. But if I lived like most of the time, like living next door to uh, people with animals, you're not going to get a lot of the cat dander or cat hair coming out into the hallway and then into your, into your building.
2: What if you got a, what if you got a dangerous dog? Like what if you got a pit bull or something like that, or a dog that's bitten someone before?
10: Well, I think that there's laws that prohibit that anyway. Um, but the, I, I'll admit I have a soft spot for, for pit bulls. I've never met a, a dangerous one. So it's more about, often it's more about the owner than the animal. And someone who is a irresponsible pet owner is probably going to be an irresponsible um, tenant, uh, whether they have an animal or not.
2: Okay, I'm speaking to Port Moody City Councillor Amy, Amy Lubick, and we're talking about the Residential Tenancy Act. Should landlords be required to let you have a pet? Um, I know that some landlords, and I'm already hearing from them, I'm getting emails and tweets from them already, Saying that I've had nightmarish experiences with tenants who had a destructive dog or a cat. They were irresponsible pet owners, and when the tenant left, they had this dog had absolutely destroyed the rental unit that I own because they didn't take care of the dog. They didn't walk the dog. They didn't clean up after the dog. You know, there's there's hair all over the place, and the landlord should be within in his or her right to say that I'm not going to allow that. I'm not going to allow a destructive animal into, into a suite that I own. What do you, what would you say to landlords who are concerned about this?
10: Well, I, I would say I, I hear them. Yeah. And that is one of the things that we put in as a, um, not a clause, but in our, in our writing. And of course, motions to UBCM and FCM are quite short. So you have to explain it on the floor. And yeah. So there aren't really huge long reports or draft legislation that goes along with them. But one of the things that we tried to say was that you know there has to be mechanisms for people's different circumstances. And you know if there is an animal that is super destructive, um, kind of like a tenant who is super destructive, any tenant that is super destructive, there should be recourse um, to have to have them removed. But it shouldn't there shouldn't be a blanket. Um, Statement that you just can't have animals because you've had one bad experience. Okay. Um, you know there are there is a lot of research that has been done on these topics, in um, and I think a lot of it can be found on Pets okay, BC, uh on their website. The dem- the majority of of pet owners, if there's a damage deposit, uh, whatever gets claimed back, has around like a uh, between twenty and thirty dollar difference between. Someone who has a pet and someone who doesn't have a pet. On average, okay, um, you actually end up having more damage often from people with kids. And I'm not oh. not saying that we shouldn't have kids, but that's the <laughs> oh, uh, that's the data that we
2: have. Talking about pets and apartments and other rental properties. If you are a tenant. Should you be allowed to have a pet if you want? And if you are a landlord, should you still have the right, and this is the law in B.C., to put a no pets clause into your lease? My guest is Port Moody City Councilor Amy Lubick. She says people should be allowed to have pets if they want. She wants to change the Tenancy Act in B.C. Take a quick look. Lots of calls here, Councilor, but let me just quickly check our uh, online poll on this. Uh 61% right now saying The landlord should still be allowed to ban pets. 40% say that you should be allowed to have a pet if you want. So you're losing our poll here, Counselor. You're losing our our online poll right now.
10: That's sad to hear.
2: Okay, well, let's see if it's any different on the phone line. 604-280-9898, star
6: 9898 on your cell. Hi, Ron. Oh, hello, Michael. Um, I run a small carpet cleaning business you know, I could I could fill a week of your shows with horror story after horror story of carpets that are damaged to the point where they have to be replaced mm-hmm. at costs of, of thousands of dollars. Uh, by and these are not necessarily irresponsible pet owners per se; they're not bad people. Uh, if I can give you a quick example, sure. we got lots of people in the line. I have a, one as a young foreign student who's here on her own, no family, very few friends, except for people she knows at her university. She was very lonely. She got herself a puppy, but uh, she didn't really know the first thing about raising a puppy. By the time she called me in, the carpets were just trashed, Um, you know, and um, since then, uh, she has gone to puppy obedience and things like that. She's improved, but it was a very expensive lesson for her and her family, and this is a suite they own. And I have many people, uh, another one who called me and says, do you vacuum before you clean? I said, yes, yeah. she says, great, my vacuum's broken. And she didn't tell me it broke last year. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> okay. like a, you know, we have tons of yeah. stories like that. So I can't okay. see how you can force the landlord to take a pet.
2: All right, Ron, thank you for the call. Let's go another call here. Ed and Burnaby.
6: Hi, Ed, what do you think?
2: Well, um, I'm
11: renting, and right. uh, we have a constant battle between barking dogs and Uh. dog problems. Um, And I got nipped in the elevator the other day by a dog from another apartment. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think uh, it should be mandatory. I think it should be up to the uh, landlord. And when we moved into our place, we had to have the carpets replaced after we moved in. They were cleaned, but underneath there had been a cat that had been peeing behind the couch, I guess. Ugh, ugh. And the floors, floors were all bad. So we had to have new carpets. The landlord had to pay new carpets and floor treatment and everything when we moved in there. Okay. So I, I'm totally against, okay?
2: All right, Ed. Thanks for the call. A couple of horror stories there, Counselor. What do you say to them?
10: Well, I mean, I think as far as the, the damage goes, those folks who, who caused the damage should be responsible for the damage. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: that's why you pay a, pay a damage deposit, right?
10: That's why you pay a damage yeah. bel- deposit, and people are actually allowed to charge higher damage deposits for people with animals.
2: Yeah, right. That's so already... You got a pet. You got to put in a bigger damage deposit. Let's go to Jason in Aldergrove. Hi, Jason. Hey, you
11: doing? Good. What do you think? So, I'm a know, I have two dogs, and I'm also a renter. Uh, now, if if I learned was to
9: restrict dogs, I totally agree with it.
2: Okay, I'm I'm just going to jump in there because you're breaking up real bad in your cell. Let's see if we can clean that up, and then I'll come back to you. Okay, Rick and Langley, hi.
11: Hi. Hi, Um, Go ahead. I I think that you have to do a walkthrough when you leave a suite, and the landlord has to sign off on it. So doing a walkthrough when you possess the suite with pictures, and both parties have to sign off, should make it a no-brainer in the end, so that people are responsible for any differences in the pictures.
2: So in other words, you allow the pet...
11: Well, right. if, if we're going to change the law to allow the pet, then we should also change the law to allow protection for the landlord. Well, how how, are, they not, how are they not
2: protected now?
11: Because when somebody moves out and they, they claim they don't do the damage or the damage is there and they're not paying for it. I mean, even if it's tea it's in the carpet, it's pretty hard to get that smell out permanently. Okay. okay so right.
2: th- th- Thank you for the call. Um, Amy, is it tough for people to find rental accommodation now if they do have a pet?
10: It's very hard for people. Yeah, yeah, it's very hard for people to to find pets, uh, to find rental accommodations with their pets. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, the numbers of people um, who have to give, uh, well, of pets that have been surrounded to the SPCA because of housing is... Around 1500 to 1700 a year. There's also some data from the Vancouver or, Vancouver Cor- Orphan Kitten Rescue that right. says a lot of people are kind of handing back their cats um, because they can't they can't find a place to take them. Okay. Um, but, you know, one of the other issues that yeah. um, we didn't write about and we haven't spoken about very much, but um, there is some data from I think it's the Canadian Humane Society um, looking at you know people trying to fl- flee. Um, abusive relationships and people who won't leave because they have pets that they're afraid and oh. they can't take them anywhere.
2: Okay, let's go to Jay and Kamloops. AJ, hey, Jay, what do you think?
11: Well, I'm in the same boat as everybody else because I've got rental properties and I've had people with dogs that they, uh, they lock him in a bedroom and the dog decides it wants out so it claws against the door until it's a shre- in shreds. Or they put them in the backyard and the dog wants in so it claws against the door. So you have to replace a three- or $400 door because it's all scratched up. And uh, then the tenants fight you through Landlord and Tenants Act because they shouldn't be responsible for the door.
2: Okay, And so this you can is only a...
11: get half half a month's rent for a pet. And they uh-huh. can
2: do a half a month's rent in 15 minutes if they really get down to it. So you allow uh, the pets, though. You're the landlord, right? Yep. And And it should be my
11: decision whether I want to allow pets. If I'm paying $500,000 for a house, it's my house. If I want to allow pets, it should be up to me. Just because we're paying $500 a month for rent shouldn't give them the right to say whether I accept pets or not.
2: Right. But do you accept pets now?
11: I accept cats, but I won't have a dog in any of my places because I've just had too much damage from them. So you mean people were keeping a dog against your wishes? No, what? I was oh. allowing a dog, but uh, after you replace the backyard twice and you replace the back door twice, and it costs you $600 for a secure back door, and uh, their, their damage deposit doesn't cover it, and they won't okay. kick in any more money.
2: Okay, Jay, thanks for the call. Yeah, okay, I could I could see how you'd be not happy about that. Michael and Delta, hi. I,
6: I guess I'm going to side with um, the person that owns the oh, geez. Okay. rental okay, property. Michael,
2: I'm going to step on you there because this is what happens. You put an amateur on in charge here because we've run out of time. So I apologize. Okay. About, I apologize about that. Amy, thank you for coming on.
10: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Can I just say one quick thing? No, I can't because I'm out of time, but I (laughs) I appreciate your time, okay? Thanks a lot. That's Amy Lubick. She's a Port Moody City Councilor. Oh, man, I bungled that one pretty bad, didn't I? The Rugby Sevens. This is one of the most popular and beloved sporting events in Vancouver every March. How will this massive event handle concerns around COVID-19? CKNW contributor Nikki uh, Nikki Reitmeyer has more.
1: that time of year again in Metro Vancouver, more than 75,000 fans over two days will pour into BC Place this weekend. They're there to watch the Rugby Sevens and party a bit too. But this year's event comes at a very awkward time because of one thing. Coronavirus.
7: COVID-19. COVID-19.
1: Coronavirus. Coronavirus. BC's Provincial Health Officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry, has advised that if you're sick, you should most definitely avoid going to public gatherings.
4: So for event planners, I would say you need to do a risk assessment on an ongoing basis. In B.C. right now, there's no reason to cancel gatherings, but we need to be really careful. If anybody who's coming to your gathering has traveled recently, especially to the affected countries that we know, particularly um, countries like Iran, where we know that there's ongoing transmission in the community, we ask them to stay away from any mass gatherings.
1: But the Rugby Sevens, of course, are an international gathering where people from a number of different countries will come to cheer on their nation's team. So what precautions are organizers taking to make sure that attendees don't end up getting sick? Unless, of course, it's from too much beer.
9: Well, of course, the health and
1: safety of, you know, everyone attending, whether that be players, fans, staff is always our highest priority. That's Jamie Levchuk, Managing Director of Canada Sevens. In
9: conjunction with World Rugby and BC Place, we're uh, monitoring uh, the situation and specifically with regards to BC Place. They have taken some steps placing additional hand sanitizing stations throughout the building. They've implemented an enhanced cleaning and sanitizing protocols. Their environmental services team has undergone upgraded infection prevention and control training specifics.
1: A statement from BC Place says exactly that. There'll be more hand sanitizing stations for people, and staff have undergone extra training specific to COVID-19, among other measures. But what about the players? They travel all over the world competing at rugby competitions. In fact, they were just in California this past weekend at the HSBC LA 7s.
9: Well, the players, uh, as you mentioned, they do travel together um, because the, the teams often uh, travel together and they stay in the same hotels together. For the last two weeks, basically, the players have been under constant monitoring, both by their own staff and by World Rugby appointed and tournament staff. So we do have a tournament team doctor as well as a chief medical officer. So the players are under uh, you know constant screening and observation, and they have uh, detailed protocols and plans in place.
1: Now, keep in mind that COVID-19 is having an effect on the international rugby sevens. The Hong Kong sevens and the Singapore sevens, which were supposed to be played next month, have been postponed until October. So I asked Jamie... Was it ever considered that this event in Vancouver could be at risk of cancellation? You know, we've been
9: following the, uh, the guidance of local and provincial authorities on that. Other sporting events in the city, uh, for instance, Canucks games and stuff have been going ahead. Again, we're obviously continuing to monitor the situation uh, along with BC Place and taking our guidance from the relevant authorities.
1: So as Dr. Bonnie Henry said, stay home if you're feeling sick. And as Jamie noted, there will be extra hand sanitizing stations at BC Place, so use those in between trips to get beer at the concession stand. And of course, cheer loudly for Team Canada. Go Canada go! For 980 CKNW, I'm Nikki Reitmeier.
2: Let's talk about uh, women in the construction trades and some of the efforts underway uh, to improve those rates. Have a listen to this report now by CKW contributor Claire Allen.
5: The Canadian labour market has seen remarkable changes since the 1950s. One of the most substantial changes is the participation of women. Increasingly, women themselves are taking the initiative to gain skills which will qualify them for meaningful and well-paying occupations. Over the second half of the 20th century, women became far more involved in the workforce than ever before. However, there's one area in the workforce where women are still underrepresented.
4: My name is Lisa Langevin. I am the Director of Women in Trades at the Industry Training
1: Authority.
5: Over the next decade, the Industry Training Authority of BC anticipates that 80,000 new skilled trade workers will need to be recruited to replace those leaving the workforce. And right now, it's expected that women will only represent less than 5% of that workforce. And according to Lisa, that's because many women encounter barriers when considering a career in the trades.
4: The trades have not really changed in decades. One of the largest barriers continues to be discrimination and stereotyping and biases in hiring.
5: And those barriers are very familiar to Lisa.
4: I am an electrician. I changed careers late in life. And when I graduated from my first year of electrical There were 16 people in my class, and two of them were women. So I had a great resume, uh, great work references. You know, I was older, stable, good work history, and yet I was one of the very last people hired out of my whole class. Every guy in my class was hired before I was, including the guy who had lost his license because of a DUI and only got into the trades because his parents made him. That kind of blatant discrimination uh, has improved somewhat, but it does still exist. But one of the things that I found when I finally was hired onto the job is for many of the guys that I worked with, I was the first woman that they had worked with. And I was pleased to see that most of them, once they saw that I could do the work, their attitude towards women in trades changed
5: As the Director of Women in Trades at the Industry Training Authority of BC, Lisa wants to encourage women to consider a career in the trades. And in order to do that, Lisa says the industry must work to tear down the barriers women experience. In an effort to recruit more women, the Industry Training Authority of BC has launched the Be More Than a Bystander program.
4: Be More Than Bystander is a program that targets male leaders in construction and in the trades industries. It's only for men. And so they get together for three days um, and have provided training on some of the barriers that women face and the things like bullying and harassment and things that they can do to stand up against those kind of things. It's time for cultural change so that those environments are more accepting to diverse populations. And programs like Be More Than a Bystander help provide that cultural change.
5: The Industry Training Authority of BC is also offering actionable tips for changing the ratio and levelling the gender equity playing field in the trades industry.
4: One of the biggest action tips is for every employer, so cities, municipalities, school districts, uh, contractors, for everybody to actually start looking at the numbers of women in that they're hiring, so every municipality has trades, every school district has trades, every hospital has trades, and each of those should be looking at how many women in trades are they hiring? Are they hitting the national average of 5%? If they're not hitting that national average, why aren't they hitting that national average? What are they doing to make sure that in any graphics that they're using that, they're, that it's equitable and they're, they're showing diversity and not just uh, reinforcing stereotypes?
5: The Industry Training Authority of BC is working to actively change the narrative when it comes to women in trades in 2020. Part of that change includes outreach events for young women and girls in the community.
4: When we do outreach events, we're trying to make sure that the people that we take to talk about the trades are actually tradeswomen. Both for the girls and for the boys, they see that this is a viable career for women. We also do girls camps. Throughout the province, uh, different organizations uh, put them on for the ITA. So, for instance, the Okanagan College last year and this coming year did a go-kart uh, summer camp for girls where the girls learned how to take the go-karts apart and put them back together. And uh, so it's a great way for them to not only meet mentors, but also to see that this is work that is fun, that's rewarding, and they learn that they're great careers that have great pay.
5: While there are plenty of reasons for a woman to consider a career in the trades, Lisa says the industry stands to gain more by challenging gender equity in the workforce.
4: The studies that have been done around the business case for hiring women in the trades are quite positive in terms of diversity actually increases productivity and increases the bottom line. Companies that hire more diverse workforces actually make more money at the end of the day. So there's a lot that the trades can benefit from having a more diverse workforce. But in addition, there's a huge trade labor shortage coming up that's predicted. And hiring women in the trades will help to make sure that that labor shortage doesn't impact
2: our economy negatively.
5: For AM980 CKNW, I'm Claire Allen.
2: Did you know that today is Employee Appreciation Day? Does your boss appreciate you? Now, Employee Appreciation Day is the first Friday in the month of March, which is today. It's a day for companies to thank their employees for their hard work and effort throughout the year. Did you know that one of the most common reasons for people leaving a job is they say they don't feel appreciated by their boss or by their employer so that's one of the reasons why they now have employee appreciation day let's check in with mike Sheckman now regional manager for robert half in vancouver uh, that's a uh, human resources consulting company in vancouver uh, mike thanks for coming on
12: thanks for having me on the show How are Okay. You?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for doing this. Employee Appreciation Day. Like, I wonder, do many workplaces even know this is going on or do many employers do anything nice for their employees today?
12: Well, the survey actually um, certainly says um, it is the case. Um, The survey actually showed that 80% of employees actually do feel appreciated by their manager or employer uh, for the work that they do. So it's, um, we've seen some really nice progress over the years, and I think that organizations are, are really uh, understanding the, the impact um, that it makes in terms of uh, retaining some of the top talent, especially in a competitive marketplace.
2: Yeah, it is a competitive kind of labor market out there, isn't it? I mean, it's tough to find good people, tough to keep them. Um, so do you think for an employer to show appreciation for the people working for them, is that, is that kind of a critical component in keeping good people?
12: It is. I think that um, organizations are are becoming really savvy when it comes to uh, retaining talent and I think that uh, they understand how costly it can be in terms of uh, recruitment and what uh, it takes to to not only uh, attract but also retain. So uh, there's definitely several points that they put into play uh, when it comes to um, to appreciating people that uh, are working for their organizations.
2: Okay, give me some examples of those. What, do, what, what can employers do to make their employees happy and show that they're valued?
12: I, I think that, um, you know, it could be really, really simple. And I think that uh, it's something that it is taken for granted, but uh, a simple thank you. Um, yeah. You know, acknowledging employees um, verbally and um, letting them know the efforts that they're going uh, in order to make uh, their work environments really strong. Um, also, and this is not for everybody, but um, publicly uh, acknowledging uh, employees, whether it's maybe through a company's uh, newsletter or recognizing them at a staff uh, meeting or uh, that's, again, uh, people really appreciate when that goes, uh, and that goes a long way. Uh, and then it could be other things such as uh, showing flexibility when it comes to um, their their work hours uh, or uh, also with the the amount of pressure when it comes to work-life integration uh, that comes up, so uh, being a little more flexible uh, for working parents or other things that come when it comes to uh, to life. So there's a lot of things, uh, small and big, that uh, employers are, are doing, uh, but certainly it's um, the big thing to think about is that uh, no, uh, it's not one solution. I think that there's a lot of different things in understanding your employees' will certainly allow you to know how they want to be acknowledged
2: Okay, how about a raise give your employee a raise that will show you that you appreciate them for sure I mean a thank you is nice right but hey how about a little cold hard cash
12: money talks you got it Mike I think that um, and and from the survey actually 54 percent of the individual actually said that uh, money is a big motivator in terms of uh, being appreciated because you know money uh, does help a lot of individual in terms of reducing stress. We know how uh, how much uh, it means when you can um, easily take care of the bills or uh, go on additional vacation. Uh, so, so money is an important thing, and uh, certainly it's something to uh, to keep in mind when um, when and if possible.
2: Okay, but do you think that for an employee's point of view, if they're thinking like, I'd like to get a raise. Do most people have the guts to actually go in and talk to their boss about a raise or do most people kind of just, you know, just hope that they're, hope that they're uh, recognized somewhere by, by the boss or do you, what do you recommend to people? If you think you need a raise, go and ask for
12: one. I think it's important to, to have an ongoing discussion uh, throughout your career in terms of, um, in terms of what you uh, believe uh, is a fair compensation. Uh, it's also doing your homework, understanding what uh, what your role uh, is within the organization, how it aligns with uh, the marketplace, uh, and being able to build a, a good case to why a I, I raise is in order. Uh, I think that uh, doing your homework is, uh, is critical in that process. But if you have a real authentic, uh, strong relationship with your upline manager, I think that that, that should be an ongoing uh, discussion point in terms of what is important to you in terms of What's retaining you, and what is actually motivate what's going to motivate you in terms of uh, staying in your position as well?
2: Okay, speaking to Mike Schachtman from Robert Half in Vancouver about employee appreciation day, which is today. Mike, do you think that most organizations out there and employers out there they realize that this is employee relate employee appreciation day, and do they actually do anything for their workers on a day like today?
12: I think, I, I, you know, I don't have hard, cold data on uh, who knows and who yeah. doesn't, but uh, I think with social media, you can uh, certainly see that presence uh, online. I think that people are talking about it, uh, and I think it's become uh, more and more prevalent um, over, over the past uh, few years. Um, I think it's important to also realize that, Um, You know, no different than other days in the year, Uh, it's not about just celebrating today. Uh, I think it's about uh, having and acknowledging uh, employees across the globe every single day. If you're a a strong employer brand, uh, you should be able to do this every single day. Uh, No different than Mother's Day or Valentine's Day or any other day. I think uh, it shouldn't be an excuse to treat your people uh, right.
2: Okay, what if you're an employee and you feel underappreciated? How, how do you deal with, especially if you got a lousy boss, how do you deal with that?
12: I, I think I would say that uh, it's important to, to have that dialogue first. I think that um, making sure that um, you... Um, you really uh, are authentic again, going back to that individual and expressing your your concerns and um, your dissatisfaction around what's uh, what 's happening. also speaking to uh, maybe uh, you know somebody that's a little bit unbiased in terms of that uh, experience and, and getting their uh, feedback or opinion on the matter and, and getting a little coaching uh, so if you're constructive in the way that you're delivering um your uh your concerns uh and if that is not corrected at that point i think it's important to to be able to uh, move on to a new opportunity yeah. this time but i think it's always important to exhaust it internally uh, and sometimes it just comes down to to basic communication
2: okay i guess a, a note of appreciation is one thing or certainly a raise i think would be appreciated by just about anybody but what about some? I'm trying to think of some other ways that maybe a boss could show some appreciation for, for a good worker. What about some more time off? Like maybe take a day off or, yeah. or get some time away to recharge your batteries?
12: Yeah, there is that. That was, um, that was actually one of the things that came out of the, the survey as well. Yeah. So uh, some of the other things that uh, employees felt uh, most appreciated about is uh, the extra time off. Um, also, a recognition uh, for maybe a lunch or, or a dinner, so maybe it could be a gift card that uh, they can take out, um, maybe a partner yeah. or, or a family member um, or the other piece that was really critical out of this survey is uh, a promotion as well. So, yeah. so again, I think it, it does come down to in, an individualistic okay. uh, and what uh, is really important for, uh, for people.
2: Okay, my guest Mike Schechtman from Robert Half in Vancouver.